an asteroid the size of Bennu can cause global devastation. So it could cause such a dramatic climate change. Would work, there would be like a winter. It would kick up enough dust into the atmosphere that would reflect a lot of sunlight. The Earth would cool. We would get a winter that would last several years from the equator to the poles, snow, cold, uh, crops would fail. And if crops fail, civilization starts. From WKMG in Orlando, this is Space Curious, the show that answers your intergalactic questions. I'm your host, Emily Speck. This may be the quintessential 2020 story. Our good buddy, astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson, posted about an asteroid. They say it's the size of a refrigerator. The asteroid is named 2018 VP1. It was discovered in 2018 by scientists in San Diego. And one day before the election, a lot of people are going to be looking to the skies because NASA is predicting an asteroid will pass close to the Earth. I want to get this out of the way. 2020 has been awful for a lot of reasons. A global pandemic, racial injustice, wildfires, a crazy active hurricane season, and the list goes on. But an asteroid crashing into Earth will not be the cherry on top of humanity's punishment. They say there's practically no chance it'll come in contact with Earth. This episode is not about the election day asteroid the guy you sat next to in high school biology posted about on Facebook. Simply put, we won't be going out with a bang this year. 2020 rages on. In this episode, I'll talk to some of the scientists who help us know where asteroids are and why we're not all going to get squashed by one this year or anytime soon. A NASA spacecraft is preparing to collect a piece of potentially hazardous asteroid this month and eventually bring that sample back to Earth. The U.S. Space Agency also has several other asteroid spacecraft missions in the works, and is not alone in its determination to better understand these fossils of our solar system. Humberto Campins, who you heard from at the start of this show, is a planetary scientist with the University of Central Florida. He's working on NASA's first asteroid sample collection mission, which will likely already have happened by the time you're listening to this. And for that reason, I am in Tucson, Arizona right now for this critical phase of the mission, which is going down to the surface and of the asteroid and picking up the sample. The spacecraft is currently circling less than a mile from an asteroid called Bennu. The 500-meter-wide asteroid was chosen for several reasons. It is the most potentially hazardous asteroid. And let me elaborate on that a little bit. It, it is not threatening Earth right now, but its orbit has the largest potential of evolving into one that would threaten Earth, and that would happen in about 160 years. So if we have to deflect Bennu, or if we have to deflect another asteroid like Bennu, studying Bennu in detail will tell us a lot about how to do it. Besides the benefit to Earth's security, Bennu is also full of clues to how our planet and others formed. Number one, it's a primitive asteroid. We think its surface or its material in general has not been heated very much. And if it, if it hasn't been heated much, it preserves the same composition that it had when it formed about four and a half billion years ago. Think about what we know from fossils of dinosaurs. Bennu is basically a fossil from the beginning of our solar system. Uh, and also because it 
it has remained relatively cool, it has preserved other components like hydrated minerals, you know, what's uh, uh, minerals like clays that contain a lot of water. And those organic molecules are the type of molecules that were existed on Earth before life formed and were the ones that life used to for the first cell to form and then evolve. What this information could lead to is pretty major because it will help answer the questions of how you and I got here. We can understand the inventory of organic molecules that existed and how a combination of those could have led to that step that still evades us from a, uh, an organic molecule that is not alive to a live cell. We don't know what that step is. So we don't know how life formed. This is gonna help us. Not only understand how it might have formed on Earth, but how it might have formed on Mars, in the moons of Jupiter, or in planets around other stars. Side note, I'm really thinking that Bruce Willis and his team should have spent more time collecting asteroid samples before blowing the thing up and saving the world. You don't have to worry about me and my team. We'll get the job done. But alas, not all sci-fi is very accurate. And speaking of saving the world, Humberto Campin says we already know what won't work. If you go and attach somehow a rocket to it and you try to push it away, you run the risk of just dispersing a cloud of impactors. Basically creating lots of little asteroids headed for Earth instead of one big one, still bad news. So instead of doing that, you want to do it very gently, and we want to understand its rotation, and we understand you know, it's the distribution of mass inside of it, so that when we are, if we need to deflect Bennu, or if we need to deflect another asteroid like it, all of that knowledge will help us push it away safely. That brings us to OSIRIS-REx. The name is actually an acronym, because what's a NASA mission without one? It stands for Origins Spectral Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer. Whew, okay. It's not easy getting NASA to fund your mission to a 4.5 billion year old asteroid. The, the idea had been around for a while. The University of Arizona had been thinking about this for a while. And uh, the selection of OSIRIS-REx as a new Frontiers mission funded by NASA uh, was done after a third try. So the University of Arizona made two initial tries where we got feedback, and on the third try, we won. This was in June of 2011. Fast forward to September 2016, and OSIRIS-REx launches from Florida on its mission to bring home a piece of asteroid. And liftoff of OSIRIS-REx, its seven-year mission to boldly go to the asteroid venue and back. And we've been in Venus since December of 2018, uh, mapping it in detail. And now we have enough confidence that we can bring the spacecraft down into this area. Uh, it's a crater called Nightingale. The spacecraft team named all their potential collection sites on Bennu after mythical or real birds because Bennu is named for a mythical Egyptian bird. We found several surprises on Bennu. One of the surprises was that the surface was a lot rougher than we expected. So we were hoping for these uh, zones on the asteroid that would be devoid of 
boulders and full of fine material that would be easy for us to to uh, sample. When we got there, it was like, wow, this thing is rough. It's very, you know, it's just, it's rocks everywhere. So we had to change the way in which the spacecraft approached the surface. The navigation team was hoping for a large flat area on Bennu, about 150 feet across. But quickly, that became apparent that did not exist, which presented a navigational problem. So instead of having the spacecraft be programmed by us, saying, as you know, as you're coming down at this altitude, you do this maneuver, you pick up the sample and you go away, we needed to give the spacecraft the intelligence to make its own decisions and navigate with respect to rocks so it could avoid them. Because if you're heading down and, for example, Nightingale surrounded by these big rocks, one of which we call Mount Doom, right? <laughs> so from Lord of the Rings. This is all leading up to the end of October when the spacecraft goes in for its prize. The device that takes the sample, what does it look like? Can you kind of describe it? Yes, it's a long arm, about six feet long, approximately. And the engineers will kill me if I say this, but it's kind of a glorified pogo stick. It's very sophisticated, but its function is to take the sample during the five seconds that it touches the ground. And, but as it's doing that, these, the spacecraft's momentum is compressing this spring so that it pushes the spacecraft away from the, from the asteroid. The plan is that OSIRIS-REx will suck up at least 60 grams, up to about 2 kilograms, or more than 4 pounds, and bring it back to Earth. So the spacecraft is going to touch, compress, and push away. And then once it's pushed away, very quickly, all the cameras in the spacecraft are going to determine which way is the asteroid, which way are the stars, and fire the thrusters so we move towards the stars and not towards the asteroid, right? But that is the most dangerous part of the whole mission. This has been done before, but only by one other country. The Japanese space agency, known as JAXA, successfully brought back a small sample from an asteroid in 2010. JAXA actually just did this again with another asteroid and has an arrangement with NASA to trade samples once OSIRIS-REx drops its sample back on Earth. When NASA's sample is back on Earth in 2023, that's when the in-depth research really begins. So I'm Jamie Eltala. I'm a research scientist in the Astrobiology Analytical Lab at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and I'm a collaborator on the science team for the OSIRIS-REx mission. Jamie and her team will be some of the first people to analyze pieces of Bennu. My lab focuses on analyzing extraterrestrial materials like meteorites and moon rocks to look for the building blocks of life and to understand the origin of life on Earth and potentially elsewhere. There is a huge benefit to bringing a piece of asteroid back to Earth. Bringing the sample back to Earth means we can use much better equipment than we're able to send to space. The instruments in my lab, for example, are much too big and use too much power and they weigh too much to be able to send into space to do these measurements at the asteroid. So because OSIRIS-REx is collecting a sample and bringing it back, we're going to be able to use these, these cutting-edge instruments to be able to really analyze the sample. 75% of that sample will actually be left untouched and archived. And that's going to allow people not yet born, using techniques not yet invented, to answer questions not yet asked. The Bennu sample is going to provide important science uh, information now and also for generations to come. 
Outside of sending spacecraft to asteroids and bringing samples home to better understand them, scientists all over the world are tracking and identifying new asteroids from right here on Earth. Anne Verke is one of those scientists. She is the head of the Planetary Radar Group at Arcebo Observatory in Puerto Rico, where they have one of the largest and most powerful telescopes in the world. Her job is to track asteroids. How many asteroids do we know about? Uh, so there are different classes of asteroids. There are near-Earth asteroids and there are main belt asteroids. I think near-Earth asteroids are now somewhere around like 25,000-ish known asteroids, uh, whereas the main belts are in hundreds of thousands. <laughs> yeah, so we are mostly focusing on near-Earth asteroids because radar is very sensitive to the distance of its targets. A near-Earth asteroid is anything within 1.3 astronomical units, or the distance from Earth's orbit to the Sun. That's about 93 million miles. So the term near requires context. Well, you have to have the perspective of the massive size of the space. So, for example, when I mentioned the astronomical unit, it's actually 150 million kilometers. So one third of that is still 50 million kilometers, which is not near in any terms when we are talking about anything on the Earth. <laughs> but when we're talking about the really big asteroids, how often has something that's, you know, like miles wide, how often has that come close to hitting Earth or has it ever happened? Well, there have been asteroid impacts we know of. Like, for example, near Flagstaff, there is a big uh, meteor crater. That was a pretty big asteroid to, to do that. And we also know of the one close to Yucatan Peninsula that is expected to be the one that caused mass extinction of, of dinosaurs in the past. But there has not been one to cause another mass extinction, at least for about 66 million years. But asteroids do come close. One of the closest calls will be in 2029, when asteroid Apophis, which is more than 200 meters across, will come about as close as some of the Earth-orbiting satellites. Apophis is expected to pass Earth in April 2029, but it is not expected to hit. Instead, it will offer a good opportunity to observe an asteroid that could one day impact Earth, but not in our lifetime. The job of watching potential threats to the planet is up to NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office. If there is a reason for concern, the information would come from that office. So next time you read about an asteroid headed for Earth, Humberto Campins has some advice. Uh, that they go to a NASA website and find out what NASA is saying about it. Um, NASA, the European Space Agency, um, there are a number of very serious institutions that are not going to be prone to the um, hyperbole or exaggeration on downright lies. We know that the internet is full of misinformation. And remember, the chances of that happening while we are alive are so low that you can ignore most of those things. If you enjoyed this podcast and have more intergalactic questions for us to answer, submit your queries at clickorlando.com space. You can also reach out to me directly on Twitter at EMSPAC. 
you can find Space Curious wherever you download your favorite podcasts. New episodes drop every other Wednesday. This episode was recorded, edited, and co-produced by Tad Davis, Zach Rosen, and myself. A special thank you to Humberto Campins, Ann Berge, and the NASA Planetary Defense Coordination Office. I'm Emily Speck. Tune in next time for more stories that are truly out of this world. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.